Mamma Mia subscribers, you've been asking and we've been listening. Now you can get all of your exclusive subscriber audio on Apple Podcasts. That includes everything from bonus episodes of your favourite pods to exclusive segments to all of our audio series. To link your Mamma Mia subscription to Apple Podcasts, open the Mamma Mia Out Loud page in your Apple Podcasts app and follow the prompts or head to help.mamamia.com.au. You're listening to a Mamma Mia podcast. From Mamma Mia, I'm Gemma Bath, filling in for Claire Murphy. Welcome to The Quickie, getting you up to speed daily. Has the past 18 months changed how you work? It has for a lot of people all over the world who are doing more from home, who are working more flexible hours, who have taken the pandemic and all its restrictions and reshaped their workdays. But what if the government really changed up how we earn a buck in 2021? What if, like in some places in the world, we tried on a four-day work week for size? What if we adopted traditions from others who take the middle of the day off? Today, we look at the future of the Monday to Friday, nine to five, to find out if it's still the best option for the Aussie workforce. Move by Mamma Mia is the exercise app for anybody, anywhere. And in case you missed it, we dropped a brand new stretching collection that can be used to improve mobility and bookend your favourite sweat sessions. Mamma Mia subscribers get unlimited access to Move, and we drop new workouts every single week. If you're on the hunt for movement that makes you feel good, head to move.mamamia.com.au and use the code MOVE10 to get $10 off a yearly subscription. Between 2015 and 2019, employees in Iceland were paid the same amount of money for working fewer hours. Run by the Reykjavik City Council and the national government, the trial saw over 2,500 workers, around 1% of the country's working population, from preschools, offices, social service providers and hospitals, move from a 40-hour week to a 35- or 36-hour week. The result? Researchers say productivity either stayed the same or actually improved during this time. This has kicked off trials in other countries, including Spain and New Zealand, and has led to unions in Iceland renegotiating working patterns for the whole country, with 86% of the entire workforce now either having already moved to shorter hours for the same pay or winning the right to change from the old 40-hour-a-week system. So why 40 hours and five days anyway? Back before industrialization, humans worked along with Mother Nature, up with the sun, back home at sundown. After the Industrial Revolution, with work no longer impacted by the seasons, people moved into cities and worked in factories, where they would sometimes work 12 to 16 hours a day, six days a week, breaking only for the holy day on Sunday. There was no holiday pay, no sick pay, and no workplace safety laws. The eight-hour day was first suggested by Welsh utopian socialist Robert Owen in 1817 in Scotland, coining the phrase eight hours labour, eight hours recreation, eight-hour rest. But there were many who didn't want to lose their 16-hour-a-day workforce. They didn't want their stores closed or their machines sitting idle. The first Australian unions were formed in the 1820s, mainly consisting of skilled workers like shipwrights, printers and cabinet makers. They faced harsh pushback from employers and government at the time, who would break strikes by using convict labour. 
When streetlights were introduced in the 1840s, employers saw that as a way to keep their employees working later, typically doing a 14-hour day. That would lead to the early closing movement in 1844, which sought to have working hours reduced to 12. The end of transportation of convicts to Australia and the gold rush of the 1850s, which saw a mass of working-age men shift to the goldfields, saw unions gain more power as the worker shortage gave them leverage. On February 4, 1853, the Operative Mason Society was reformed in Melbourne. This was thought to be the start of the eight-hour movement in Australia. They lobbied for the reduced hours, citing Australia's harsh climate, the need for time for workers to develop their social and moral condition through education, and the fact it would make them better fathers, husbands and citizens. Initially, only a select few won the right to the eight-hour day with the same pay, the fight for the new working conditions continuing through the 19th century until 1916, when the Eight Hours Act was passed in Victoria and New South Wales. It wouldn't be until January 1948 when the Commonwealth Arbitration Court would approve the 40-hour, five-day working week for all Australians. So we've been adhering to a workweek setup that's more than 100 years old. Have times changed enough for us to now reconsider it again? During the pandemic, working from home became a new normal, a flexibility many Australians, particularly working parents, have been advocating for for decades. The technology we now have allows us to communicate like never before. And with Zoom and email and companies like Slack, an instant messaging service, even when employees are working from home, they're not missing from the workplace. So now our employers are more open to the idea of working remotely. Is it time to look at a bolder change? Dr. Amantha Imber is an organisational psychologist, founder of behavioural science consultancy Inventium and host of the hugely successful business podcast, How I Work. Amantha has spoken extensively about the benefits of the four-day week and implemented it at her own firm. Amantha, how is it that we can work less but be just as productive, if not more, than we were before? Practically, it works because I think that when you're asked to challenge yourself to fit five full days of work into four normal length days, you really think about time carefully and you use your time really wisely. And I feel that people are a bit more frivolous with time when they're just working a standard five-day week and it's easy to let things kind of drift over, you know, into the nights or the evenings or the weekends. Is that what you found happened at Inventium when you brought in this four-day week, that people just got really good at time management? They certainly did. And it was interesting because at Inventium, we actually train our clients in how to work more productively and how to do deep focused work in the age of digital distraction. And as a result, we apply all those strategies ourselves. So we were already a highly productive team. So to be honest, I wasn't sure if we'd be able to get an increase in productivity given we did a lot of the right things and had really good habits. But we found in our initial six-month experiment of doing the four-day week, we were able to boost productivity by 26% just by doubling down on those techniques and adding a few more ideas into the mix. Can we have a look at what that four-day week actually looks like for you practically? How does it work when the rest of the country is on a five-day week? 
So practically how it works is that we all take Fridays off. And I will say we all take Fridays off, meaning about 70% of the time, any individual will take that Friday off. So basically people tend to look at their annual goals, break them down into six months, break them down into quarterly, weekly. And that way they know when it comes Thursday afternoon, have they got everything done, achieved everything that they wanted to achieve to take Friday off and not feel anxious or guilty about it. So typically what would happen, and I know in my own working life, I work really hard Monday to Thursday and they're like normal days. So typically nine to five-ish kind of hours, you know, sometimes I'll start a bit earlier, finish a bit earlier. And then on Friday, and I know this is true of a lot of the team, we will still check our email once or twice during the day, just in case something urgent comes in. But also at other times, we will be completely offline. So it does depend. Do you think we've started to enter into an age where the individual is now kind of calling the shots on their workplace flexibility as opposed to the employer. You know, we've got working parents, students, people with a disability, carers. Are we now starting to become a more employee-focused workforce? Oh, I would love to think so, but I still feel like there are a lot of organisations that are operating in the dark ages and just not trusting their staff to make good decisions for themselves. Like, I think that is key. If managers trust their teams to do their work and do it well, and also that they're focused on output as opposed to hours worked, which again is kind of an old school mindset that still exists, sadly. I think that that's one of the keys to, you know, really providing a great employee experience when it comes to flexibility. But I mean, if there's no trust, like if you've got a manager that doesn't trust their staff, then I think that flexibility, it's really hard to come by in those situations. Has the pandemic shifted that? My employer wasn't sure how the team would go working from home so much, but they've since reported back that the output is just as good as when we're in the office. I think it's really interesting when you're forced to run an experiment and forced to do something really, really differently. That certainly that is one of the best ways of challenging pre-existing assumptions. So, you know, I think that Mamma Mia isn't alone in that kind of experience where there are a lot of bosses that previously wouldn't have dreamed of letting people work from home five days a week, but because of necessity, they had to try it out and they realized, oh, hang on, it's actually not that bad. So I do think, you know, look, that is one upshot of the pandemic that it did force an experiment that has actually run really well for a lot of organizations and therefore managers to some extent are more open to flexibility. What about the model that it looks like we're moving towards as we've moved in and out of lockdowns where, you know, we're doing more of a hybrid role? So sometimes people are in the office, sometimes they're at home. Do you think that's going to become the new normal? It's certainly happening. I know with a lot of our clients at Inventium, almost all of them are working in a hybrid manner. Obviously, people that are in lockdown excluded from that. But what I also see happening is that sometimes flexibility is taken away to an extent where people are mandated to be in the office X number of days, that might be three or four days a week. So it does take some of the choice away from them. And look, I also think that it's worth pointing out that there's a very big difference between a company that is remote friendly, in inverted commas, versus remote first. And I think for me, I became aware of this 
I interviewed this guy called Darren Murph on my podcast, How I Work, and his job is head of remote. Like that's his actual job title for GitLab, which are a big tech company. And the problem with remote-friendly companies is that they're not actually all that friendly. Like remote-friendly is basically you can work from home sometimes, but you can't actually work from anywhere. So the companies that I'm seeing that are practicing ultra-flexibility are remote first, where you can literally work from anywhere and often anywhere in the world, um, or at least, you know, on a time zone that's compatible with your main office. And, you know, I think that that is like the best practice when we're talking about true flexibility. In 2019, Melbourne digital agency Versa trialled a year-long no-work Wednesday rather than opting for a long weekend option. Staff retention and happiness soared and sick leave plummeted. The CEO told the ABC they were also three times more profitable as a business during that year. She also found her inbox overflowing with corporate human resource leaders from around the world wanting to pick her brain. When we look globally, the standard working hours across the world are still around that 40 to 44 hour per week mark. While nine to five is considered the most common, plenty of countries do it differently. Japan works some of the longest hours in the world, with a quarter of companies clocking up at least 20 extra hours a week on overtime on top of their 8.30 to 7pm day. The term karoshi translates to death by overwork in Japanese and is a legal term recognised as a cause of death. Finland and Canada have the shortest days, working just six hours and 45 minutes per average workday. In France and Italy, an employee's workday can be broken up with a generous lunch break that can last up to two hours. Some smaller businesses even close for lunch so employees can spend time with their family. Some Muslim countries work a standard Sunday through to Thursday, leaving Friday for religious observance. The pandemic has put us in a unique position. COVID-19 has changed the way we work, and while flexibilities like working from home are being mapped out, now would be the opportunity for the Australian workforce more broadly to reassess what's working and what's not. Amantha, however, is a little more sceptical. She thinks we might have to settle for more working from home flexibility for now. I'd love to think that it could happen for some industries, particularly industries that have knowledge workers or desk workers where it is a little bit easier for managers to get their head around the idea of condensing five days worth of work into four, as distinct from industries that have shift workers, for example, where it can be a slightly more challenging concept. So look, I would love to see it, but I do think it will be like a relatively slow process because it is busting such a fundamental assumption around how we work and that we do a five day, 40 hour week. That's the quickie for today. This episode was produced by myself, Gemma Bath, and our executive producer, Siobhan Moran-McFarlane. Audio production by Ian Camilleri. Mamma Mia acknowledges the traditional owners of the land we have recorded this podcast on, the Gadigal people of the Eora Nation. We pay our respects to their elders, past and present, and extend that respect to all Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander cultures.